blazing ministry of the Holy Spirit. And so we continue with that. This is the second part, and then there will be a third part. Uh, so last week was Pentecost. We started with this whole idea of, gosh, without the Spirit of God, um, everything that we've been talking about in terms of Matthew 28, 18 to 20, in terms of multiplying churches, in terms of being set apart by Christ for setting others apart, would not be possible. So we continue today with the glorious ministry of the Spirit. Guys, uh, in the Old Testament, there were two words that were used for glory. One was Shekinah, which was the outward uh, manifestation of God's glory. So you often hear of the authors in the Old Testament using the word Shekinah, as in the Shekinah of God was present, as in they could either see it in the form of a cloud or see it in the form of fire or some glorious manifestation of God's glory. And then there would be another word that they would often use for glory, which was not external, but which talked about the weight or the substance of his glory. And that was the word kabod. So these were the two words that were often used in the Old Testament to talk about the glory of God. And it's not like God decided that he'll express his glory when the Old Testament started. He's been glorious right from the beginning. The king of glory. In Isaiah chapter 6 verse 3, we see a scene where he's seated on his throne and there are angels in uh, the throne room and, and, and they're flying and calling out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. So this idea of God's glory just saturating creation was there right from the beginning. The thing that Adam and Eve actually saw that in some form or the other. To think that Lucifer is aware of it and trembles. Adam and Eve were aware of it in a way that perhaps was more splendid than we can ever see it because God lives in an unapproachable light and we as um, mortals who are decaying or dying can't approach that unapproachable light. But Adam and Eve saw something that we can't yet uh, go towards, even though he now dwells in us. But we'll get there a little later. So the whole earth is full of his glory. But then in Habakkuk 2.14, God changes it around a little. He says, yes, the whole earth, the entire universe is saturated with my glory. He actually talks about it in Psalm 19, where David writes that the heavens declare the glory of the Lord, that without speaking, every day words go out that declare how splendid he is. And yet in Habakkuk 2.14, God puts a spin on it, and he says that the earth will be filled, he doesn't say with the glory of God, because that already exists. It, he says, the earth will be filled with the knowledge of his glory. He puts in the word knowledge. Why? Because at the end of the day, you can have the glory of God present in a place, and you can be like Jacob in Genesis 28, and say, this is the house of God, but I did not even know it. So you can have the glory of God through the earth. Because Psalm 19 says that any man should recognize it. Paul takes the same theme in Romans chapter 1 and says man is without an excuse. 
when it comes to saying that he does not know God because the heavens declare his glory. But then what God does in Habakkuk 2.14 is to say, hey, I want to bring a new thing into the earth and that is the knowledge of his glory and awareness of his glory. And he's setting us up because he knows what awaits once Christ comes. It's not going to be external manifestation of Shekinah. It's not going to be this nebulous thing that nobody knew of called Kabod, which is the weight or the substance of his glory. But now he's saying, I'm first going to send someone who represents my glory, and then that someone is going to dwell in you. But through this process that I'm setting you up for, here's what's going to happen. The world will have the knowledge of his glory. They will come into an awareness of it. In Malachi chapter 2 verse 7, <coughs> in Malachi chapter, hey, can I uh, grab some water? Just regular water. Um, in Malachi chapter 2 verse 7, here's what God says to, uh, with regard to the priests. He says that the lips of the priests must guard knowledge and people should seek instruction from their mouths because they are messengers of mine. That's what he says in Malachi 2 7. What was the point? The point was there is going to come a time when I will have a common priesthood of sons and daughters from every tribe, tongue and nation around the world and I'll draw them and the reason I'm raising them up as priests is for one simple reason that they bring a knowledge of my glory here on earth. That they bring an awareness of my glory. People need to taste it, see it, feel it, touch it, have it explained to them but someone has to carry it and I'm raising up a whole tribe of priests This is what he does. Smart God, man. And so no one is opted out. Betty is in. Aza is in. May is in. Jane is in. And I'm taking the name of women because women weren't even allowed in the priesthood. And yet now he has a common priesthood who will make people aware of the knowledge of his glory. I said that. In Psalm 19 it talks about how nature declares his glory. But if nature alone was sufficient, then we would all be saved. It leaves us with no excuse, but it needs to bring an awareness or a knowledge. And in a time like this, when all the lines are gray and the dullness of people increases, this is when the priests need to guard knowledge and carry uh, instruction in their mouth so that others can come and seek them. This is what Paul then tries to explain in Ephesians 3.9. It's almost like God just sends these, uh, <laughs> these people or these announcements during different times from, the, from Genesis to Revelation. So he sends Paul, and Paul makes a statement. He says, guys, I have come to make plain to you the mystery. And so the question then is, what mystery? Because he says in Ephesians 3.9, my task is to bring out into the open and make plain the mystery that has been hidden for ages in God who created all things. And then he goes on to say in verse 10, through Christians like yourselves gathered in churches, this extraordinary plan of God is going to be made known and talked about even among the angels. And what is this mystery? He goes on to unfold it in Colossians 1.27 when he says, this is the mystery, Christ in you, the hope of glory. 
So here is glory that filled the universe that people could not fathom because they could not feel it, taste it, eat it. They just knew Shekinah when it appeared. And then he says, all right, let me tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to bring about a knowledge or awareness of this glory. And then he says, I'll do it through a host of priests and kings that will cover the earth as the waters cover the seas. Just like the Holy Spirit brooded over the waters in Genesis 1 and created order and beauty out of chaos, so now he's raising a host of priests and kings who spread throughout the earth carrying this marvelous thing called the glory of God, and we'll explain it, saying, now you go and distribute it. You brood over chaos. You brood over chaos, Jacob, and begin to speak the words I give you, and my spirit will bring into the chaos of lives, situations, cities, nations. He will bring order and beauty, but you carry it now. But God, how can I carry it? Because this is a mystery. Your, your glory is a mystery. Don't worry, because I'm sending you a, a key that will open this mystery. And then Paul comes along and he says, this is the mystery that I wanted to open to you and make plain from the beginning of time, hidden through the ages, but now being revealed through whom? Through churches that gather like you. Ephesians 3.10. Making it known. Making it known through churches that gather like you. So much so that even the angels stoop to hear and find out what this mystery is. And what is the mystery? The mystery is that the glory of God is Christ himself. The sovereign head of the universe. The king of the universe. The savior of the universe. The lord of the universe. He is the glory of God. And that's just one part of the mystery that's revealed. The second part of the mystery is... But this Christ is in you, the hope of glory. Now go. And you think, brilliant God. Brilliant God. This is what we're talking about. And God coins a new term that encompasses both words, kabod and shekinah, and it's a Greek word called doxa. And it's used again and again and again. And it takes both his external manifestation and the weight and the substance of who he is. And he combines it into one word. Jesus represented that word. They saw this glory displayed as Shekinah on the Mount of Transfiguration. Where for a moment, Jesus revealed his Shekinah. His brilliance. So much so that Peter in 2 Peter chapter 2 writes about it much after Jesus has died. He's saying, but we beheld it. We beheld it. But more than anything else, Jesus didn't want the Shekinah to blow people away with blazing light. He wanted to blow people away by living inside. Christ in you, the hope of glory. What a marvelous God. What a marvelous people we are, guys. What a marvelous people we are. But we now had the opportunity to cover the earth as the waters cover the seas. Spread out, bringing order and beauty. Where there is mourning, we bring beauty. Where there is ashes, we bring beauty. Where there is blind eyes, we bring open eyes. Where there are prisoners, we set them free. Where there are captives, we say, come out into the light. Where there is darkness, we declare light. Where there are poor and bankrupt, we preach the good news. Isaiah 61 verses 1 to 3. And the glory of the Lord shall cover the earth as the waters cover the seas. This is the church's primary function. And when the church loses its mission, it loses this aspect. 
And then what do we do with glory? We fall over. Or we shake. Or we watch stuff come from the roof. Or we don't have any of that, but really get thrilled with it. There is no point getting thrilled with the glory because the glory was never meant to be thrilled with. The glory was meant to saturate the earth, cover the earth as the waters cover the seas. God never turned up with the Shekinah to convince people. God turned up with the Shekinah because now he wanted people to recognize that he was there and then go do something with it. He's not a thrill giver. And yet he's very willing, very willing to share and show his glory. He's got absolutely no problem sharing his glory. The Bible says he will not share his glory. And when you read it, it's, when you read up and down, you'll find that he's saying he'll not share his glory with any idol. But he will share his glory with his people. Which father does not want to share his glory with his son? Which father says, this is yours and this is mine. You might be my biological son, but here ends the biology. Nobody says that. If Christ, the king of the universe, the hope of glory lives in me, then this is what it means. And I've uh, uh, said this line before, but it warrants it being said again. If If my son lives in you, then surely you must have an expectation of my presence, power, goodness, and joy in all things. Christ in you, the hope of glory, if put in simple language, would then mean that if Jesus, my son, lives in you, Jacob, then in all things, then in all things, then in all things, you must have you must have, because it's not even that you're seeking something on the outside. You must have because you already have it. You must have an expectation of God's goodness, God's power, God's presence, God's joy. You must have it because you already have it. This is what it actually means. Otherwise, it becomes a, a meaningless statement. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Gets into songs and gets into messages. And that's about it. But this is what it actually means. Because at the end of the day, these four are some of the primary ingredients of glory. Because you'll remember when Moses was um, on the mountain and he turns to God and he says to God in Exodus 33, verse 18 or thereabouts or 14 or thereabouts, he says to God, oh God, will you show me your goodness? What does God, uh, he, he asks God, oh God, will you show me your glory? What does God show him? He says, I'll show you my goodness. In Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, it says that Jesus Christ is the express image of the invisible God 
and the glorious it talks about the glory of god being reflected through jesus and it says that he holds things together by his power the glory of god always carries in it the power of god another word that's often used in the old testament is this word called panim and panim always represented the face the presence and the glory and god says listen to this listen to this look at what god is saying hey i'm going to show you my glory but here's how i'm going to show you my glory i'll pass before you and i'll hide you in the cleft of my rock cleft of the rock and i'll pass before you guys his glory and his presence go together these things work in tandem they are tied together in psalm 19 that we were just talking about god says hey the heavens declare my glory and by the way i march out like a bridegroom rejoicing full of joy like an athlete ready to run joy goes with his glory laughter goes with his glory do you see what we do when we strip god of his glory in the way we represent him not because we don't have it but because we don't practice it or believe that it is real I am always present before him and he is always present in me. Selah, I am always present before him. There is not going to be a moment in time that I will not be present before God. There will never be a cry that comes out of my heart that cries out, "Oh God, oh God, why have you forsaken me?" These are never words that will enter my mouth because those words do not apply to me. I may feel that way but they are not real, they are not true. Therefore it means that there will never be a time when I'm not present before God because Christ is present before God therefore I am present before God and there will never be a time when he is not present in me if that is so then in all things I must have this expectation of his goodness of his presence of his power and of his laughter and joy that i don't have it does not mean that it is untrue that i don't have it just means that i'm not getting into it accepting it receiving it walking in it practicing it any questions yeah man any thoughts contradictions questions This is brilliant stuff man what God has done. It needs practice eh? because truth is learned through repetition and repeating it not in words just but words that then you put flesh to. Every difficult situation becomes an opportunity to practice the glory of God. Every ordinary situation becomes an opportunity to thrive in the glory of God. and when we talk about glory if you can begin to think of it like this any questions and so christ is brought to us the splendor of christ the power of christ the presence of christ the goodness of christ the joy of christ is brought to us through just one person his personal presence of um through the through the personage of the holy spirit the holy spirit brings to us all these things that we are talking about in first peter 4:14 the holy spirit is called the spirit of glory 
In 2 Corinthians 3.18, it says, This is also from the Lord. He is the one who transforms us from glory to glory. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. First Peter 4.14 and 2 Corinthians 3.18. On one hand, the Holy Spirit is transcendent, as in he lives outside he, he's, this is not some kind of pantheism where we see God in everything. We, do, we don't see God in trees and stones and stuff like that. God lives outside of what he's created. But even though he's transcendent and outside, he chooses to localize himself. He's omnipresent. He's present in Mandalay. He's present in Surabaya. He's present in Ulaanbaatar. He's present in thousands of Christians all over the world. He's present in the universe. He was there from the beginning. He will be there. But even though he's omnipresent and even though he's outside of what he has created, the amazing thing about the Holy Spirit is that he localizes himself personally in Jacob and in this group of people. Amazing. And then he lives in me, he empowers me, he enables me to do what? To live a, live a life that has values, that has lifestyle, and that has thoughts and ways that come from a future age. Guys, remember this. eh? One of the things the Holy Spirit tries to do in a church, one of the things the Holy Spirit tries to do in your life is, can I, I know you're living in 2018, but can you begin to live by the values of a world that is yet to come? Where kindness, where forgiveness, where gentleness, where joy, and these are, are, are natural Can you begin to live by that? Can you begin to live with those values? Can you begin to live a lifestyle that comes from a future age that is soon approaching but isn't there yet? I realize you're living in 2018. Can you live by the promises that were spoken to you from the future? One of the things the Spirit of God wants to do is please church, please Jacob, can you live the life of another kingdom and another future? In the present. Can you do that, Jacob? Because people need to have a taste. If you don't show them, they cannot have it. Therefore, when you are sick, can you live by a value called healing? Which is from the future where there will be a tree of life which will have leaves that are for the healing of the nations. But can you begin to live it now? When there is demonic attack, can you live by Isaiah 61, which was spoken in the Old Testament, but speaks from the future of a time where there is no tear, no fear, no demons, no nothing because they're all locked up. Can you begin to live it now? Show people a taste of what awaits. Jesus put it this way. The kingdom of God is already here. That's one of the functions of the Holy Spirit. He loves to show off something in the future. You are a teaser that is being given to the world saying, This is what you're missing out on. So seek to know his glory, guys. Seek to know his glory. Because if you seek to know his glory, you can make his glory known. If you seek to know his glory, you can make his glory known. I used to think, well, why seek to know his glory? Because he already lives in us. That is true. But, my God, if I was fully aware of the length and breadth and the height and depth of his love and his glory, I would be a different person. Seek to know it. 
I'm fascinated by Moses. Just think of what Moses is doing. He's already um, seeing um, the glory of God in the pillar and the cloud. But the guy ain't satisfied. So he goes up the mountain. He sees the glory of God, but he ain't satisfied. In Exodus 24, he takes 70 other elders with him and he goes up the mountain. And they eat and drink with God, but the guy ain't satisfied. So he goes up again and he stands on the mountain and the Lord says to him, come up and for 40 days he disappears, but the guy ain't satisfied. So he says to God, after all these experiences, when he should be writing books, he wants more. And so he says to God, oh God, can you show me your glory? And after all this, God doesn't say, well, you've seen enough for a lifetime, go write some books. He says, Sure, I'll show you more, but I'll have to hide you in the cleft of the rock because as I pass by, you wouldn't be able to handle it. And so he hides Moses and Moses sees more. And you would think that would be enough, but the guy ain't satisfied. So every day he turns up in the tent of meeting and he meets God face to face, panim, presence, face to face, face shining. And what happens? He comes out. And what happens when he comes out? His face is shining. Why? Because he's been in the presence of what? Of the goodness, the power, the presence, and the laughter, and the joy of God. It has the ability to transform your very demeanor. Only it does not happen externally. So you know, we, we don't have to hide it. It happens internally, so it projects, and we don't have to hide it. But this is a daily practice. If Moses in the Old Testament could practice this, I must practice it. Because the tent of the meeting is not a place I go to. I am the tent of meeting. So he walks with me, he talks with me. He, what's the next line? He tells me that I am his own. Uh, what is the first line? I go to the garden. You got to go to the garden that you yourself have cultivated by the power of the Spirit. This is how marvelously God has taken care of everything, guys. This is why he says it is finished. It is finished. Seek to know his goodness, his power, his presence and joy so that you may make it known and cover the earth. And cover the earth. What a, what a dissatisfied guy Moses was. And the correct response is hallelujah, even though it never goes with dissatisfied. Yet it is. And yet we will never see the fullness of it here on earth. Eh? Never see the fullness of it. Because it says in 2 Corinthians 3, 16, that we will still behold as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. God will still have to do the cleft in the rock thingy because of our decaying sinful nature. We will never be able to fully confront him and his radiance and his unapproachable light till the day that we have new bodies. Not because our spirits can't handle it, but because our bodies can't handle it. What kind of God is this, guys? Just think of what we are saying. We are saying that this God is so radiant, so brilliant, so pure, so holy, that his glory or the, the, the excellence of his goodness and his power, presence and joy is so ridiculously out of the world that your body, this physical body, will not be able to stand before it because it cannot. It will die. What kind of glory is this that we are talking about? 
Because here on earth, we can only behold it as one beholds it in a mirror. But a day is coming. A day is coming when because he has saved us and we will be resurrected if you have Jesus Christ in your life. A day is coming when we see this glory full on, full on. Absolutely. Absolutely. I remember this Turkish guy who came here and uh, gave his life to the Lord. And this is how he gave his life to the Lord. He would keep asking, am I ready? Am I ready? And I would keep telling him, Ali, I cannot tell you when you're ready. I gave him the Jesus video. And he saw the Jesus video and he said, uh, he, he came here to learn English, uh, ESL. And so uh, he said, I watched the video, I felt like a bird and I cried. What he was trying to say was there was some kind of freedom that happened inside him and he began to weep. And he said, Jacob, am I ready? I said, I can't tell you whether you're ready. Then he said, Jacob, am I ready? I said, I don't know. He says, if I receive Jesus into my life, I'll have to change my brand name. I said, yes, you would have to change your brand name. He said, am I ready? I said, nope, I don't know and I can't tell you. So he goes home. He used to live on Camby and 41st. He goes home and the next day I go to pick him up. He sees me and he comes and slaps my knee and he says, I'm ready, I'm ready. So I said, Ali, but last night you were not ready. How come you're ready now? So he says, last night I saw a dream. And in the dream, a man approached me. And the man wore a robe and he had a belt. But I could not see his face because his face was very bright. I could not see his face. And then he came and he put his hand on my head and he said, why are you waiting? Don't you know that Jacob is telling you the truth? And so he says, I know this is the truth. I'm ready. He receives Jesus Christ. He happens to be reading Acts chapter 10. And he finds that Cornelius uh, is visited by the Holy Spirit and Cornelius and his family start speaking in tongues. So he says, what is this? So I explain it to him. And he says, I want this. So we go to Queen Elizabeth Park and we're sitting there and I pray that he receives a baptism in the Holy Spirit of the, and that he starts speaking in tongues. And I pray for him, and then I say, it'll, don't worry, it'll happen. Just safeguarding him, because I didn't have the faith for it. And he starts speaking in tongues. And I say, no, 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 Ali, that's Turkish. The tongues is different. He says, no, this is Turkish. And he speaks in Turkish. And then he says, this is tongues. And he starts speaking in tongues. And I'm scratching my head saying, wow, Father, this is happening way too fast. He disappears, goes to Turkey. Uh, we went and met him once when we started Acts 29. But after that, uh, he disappeared, as in his family was upset with him and they uh, put him away in an asylum and stuff like that. But that's a different story. The point is this, that at the end of the day, Christ appears. Uh, wh wh why did the story trigger up? Because when you talk about him, the, the, Ali saw him in his brilliance. Ali saw him the way Christ appears in Revelations 1.13. When he told me about the story, I quickly went to Revelations 1.13. And I said, is this what it looked like? And he says, yeah, because he wore a robe, he had a belt, his face was bright, I could not see it. And he came and put a hand, his hand on my head and he says, don't you know that, this is a, that Jacob is telling you the truth? What are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? Jesus Christ is Lord. What are you waiting for? So seek to behold his glory. Because a strange thing happens every morning when you seek to behold his glory. When you seek to behold his glory, every morning you are undone. That's our first and correct response. 
Woe, I am undone, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I have beheld the glory of the king. Isaiah 6 verse 3. The first thing that happens every morning when you behold his glory, before you pick up your WhatsApp messages, before you pick up your texts, before you brush your teeth, even, before you <laughs> check your emails, what if you beheld his glory? Because whatever you behold, the first thing in the morning is what you will become. Why? Because it says, if you behold his face, then you shall change from glory to glory, strength to strength. But what if you behold your debt when you wake up? What if you behold your disease when you wake up? What if you behold your fears when you wake up? What if you behold your shame when you wake up? What happens then? Then you go from shame to shame, debt to debt, fear to fear. But what if you beheld his face first? For whatever we behold, we become like, either to our restoration or to our ruin. And so the first thing would be to behold him so that you're undone. And after you're undone, he loves remaking you. For then I saw a cherub come, pick up a coal from the altar before God. And he came and touched my lips and he said, behold, you're clean. He remakes you. He remakes you. I'm going to take more time, guys. I'm not going to stop. So um, we're going to go till 4.15 today. So here are some steps that you have to take so that his glory can work effectively in you. We'll do just three steps and stop. Step one. Take up his yoke. Take up his yoke upon you. Take my yoke upon you, he said in Matthew 11. Take his yoke upon you. Take his yoke upon you. Take the yoke that Jesus wears upon you. If you want to begin to have the goodness the presence, the power, and the joy of God become a constant staple of your life. Then take up his yoke. And what is the yoke that Jesus is wearing? We talked about this in 2014 or 15. What is it that the Father has put upon Jesus that he has been wearing since the beginning of time? What is it that he's still wearing? What is it that he never takes off? What is it that is light? What is it that does not bear down heavy on him? What is it that he is offering to us? What is it he says our yoke? Here's the yoke he's wearing. And this is critical to maintaining glory in your life. Otherwise, it lasts for very short, short times and you've got to keep... We won't go there. Take up his yoke. Here's the yoke that he's been wearing since the beginning of time. This is the yoke that was put on Jesus right from the beginning of time. Three things that Jesus has always worn and he's saying, hey, are you tired and weary? Living without the glory of God or the awareness of the glory of God can make you tired and weary. You have Christ in you, the hope of glory. But to not be aware of it like Jacob saying, ah, oh, this is the house of God, but I did not even know it. That can make you weary. And he says, are you tired and weary? Hey, come, take my yoke upon you. Take my yoke upon you. And what is this yoke that you wear, Jesus? What is it that the Father has given you that is light and easy? And the one thing that Jesus has been wearing since the beginning of time is he's got this 
intimate relationship with his father. It says in Matthew 11, if you look at the message, here's what it says. I operate out of, Jesus is saying this, I operate out of a unique father-son intimacy and everything I do, I do out of this unique father-son knowledge. This is how I live and operate. That's what the message says. And then Jesus says in the message, he says, and I am willing to go over it line by line with you. Enter into intimacy, plead with God. Father, I do not know what it is to be intimate. Or plead with God. Father, I've reached a place of intimacy, but I want to step in deeper because this is what Jesus wears and he's willing to have me wear it. The second thing you wear is affection. Intimacy, the second thing is affection. Affection, sheer love, delight, delight, affection that comes out of sheer delight. Intimacy will always cause you to delight. Delight is expressed in unadorned, shameless, reckless affection, public affection. And the third one is trust. The Father, I trust you. I trust you. I'm always present before you. You're always present in me. I trust you. I call you Father. I trust you. I trust you, oh God. I trust you. This goes against the grain of what we think because we think take my yoke upon you means some miserable thing that we have to carry for the rest of our lives. What miserable thing did the Father ever put on Jesus? He didn't even put the cross on Jesus. Jesus offered to take the cross. What miserable thing has the father put on him? We shudder at the sight of that verse because we've always thought, take my yoke upon you. Man, this will be a heavy deal. Since the beginning of time, he's had it. So much so that time and time again, almost three times in the gospels, you hear a voice from heaven saying, this is my beloved in whom I delight. Or this is my beloved. Listen to him. This is my beloved. I have glorified you. Step two. Dismantle the idolatry of self and tradition. Dismantle the idolatry of self and tradition from your life. Tradition kills Jesus, self kills you. Dismantle the idolatry of self and tradition. Take a violent stance against the self that rises up in you. I find it so obnoxious because I see it rising up so often. It must be destroyed. Oh, but if you don't have self, you won't be able to love yourself. I will be. There's no problem there err on the side of destruction so that all that needs to be destroyed like Jane was singing will be destroyed. Destroy the idolatry of self and destroy the idolatry of tradition. Tradition kills God. As in, tradition put Jesus on the cross. It squeezes the God life out of your life. And do not think for a second that because you are charismatic or because you can speak in tongues or because you are on the worship team or because you are a pastor or because you come to Acts 29 that you don't have legalism and tradition in your life. We all do. Destroy and dismantle this uh, idolatry of self and tradition. And then the last one. 
you must in all things have an expectation of god's goodness his power his presence and his joy and laughter you must have it when you find guys here's the thing huh? when the glory of god comes into a situation whether it be your work your marriage my preaching ah oh, just think of that just think of that for a second when the glory of god comes into what i teach it doesn't matter whether you are sleepy not sleepy whether you like me or don't like me whether you have had a bad day or good day you will not be able to leave without being touched by god himself it's very natural i've seen it i know the days when i know the presence and the power and the goodness and the joy of god present while i'm teaching and it is impossible to escape it not because of my oratorical skills not because of how loudly i preach but because of the sheer ability of the spirit of god to do something it's the same when it comes to worship it's the same when it comes to your marriage parenting decision making business work and when the glory of god is not present then it's a lot of toil a lot of toil it is hard work it'll still come out successful but my god you'll earn every drop of sweat and blood god will bless the work of your hands cuz he's a blesser but there are easier ways that bring god in when you work hard god has to stand on the outside and bless you when you work with his presence power goodness and joy he steps right in and then he doesn't need you but he takes you along for the ride and it is a glorious ride many of us think this is impractical you don't know my schedule i don't but i know that this is true because god does it is impractical because we have not tried it yet the spirit gives life the flesh profits nothing what is spirit is spirit what is flesh is flesh the spirit gives life the flesh profits nothing the day i learn to sustain through these three steps the willingness of god to take me deeper and deeper into his presence power goodness and joy the day i learn that i will find that i'll be enveloped in his doxa from the outside and i'll have his spirit within me bubbling up spring up oh wells we make copies of this and uh, distribute it to everybody's pay them a dollar to take it heidi where's heidi yeah just a dollar each if you take the cd <laughs> no it's just an incentive yeah to take it yeah <laughs> don't push it i'm at reason to 5 dollars and then uh guys we're not paying you a dollar take it yeah <laughs> <laughs> um i got to end but i think it's so cool what god wants to do guys learn this eh learn this learn this 
behold his goodness, his power, his presence and joy. I hate the devil of time. I, I, I'm not saying time is a devil. Please don't think there's a demon called time. I'm not saying that. I hate the way that the devil takes time from us um, and uses it as a noose around our necks to say, you don't have time, you've got to go to the next thing. You don't have time, you don't have time. And we find it's usually because we've spent time doing something else that was less important, but was important to us. Or it is, it, it is, this, it is this thing. I remember telling Dano long ago when he started his business that, Dano, learn how to overcome mammon and overcome Kronos. Because mammon can be beaten. But the moment mammon is beaten, Kronos, his younger brother, is waiting in the wings to make an appearance. Because just when you think, I have learned how to handle money, time comes along and say, but I got you now. And what mammon was not able to do, Kronos does. And if you read Kronos, then be careful of hubris, which is pride, which is waiting in the wings saying, hmm, he conquered both mammon and uh, time. So let me bring in pride. If pride doesn't uh, work and you are able to handle pride, then be careful of pathos, which is this passion that begins to grab you. It's the kind of passion that causes you to trample on people because you are so passionate about something that you are gung-ho about it. Jesus was never gung-ho about anything. He had a flint-like face that would go towards the cross. But in the middle of being flint-like about the cross, he had time for Jairus' daughter, the woman with the issue of blood, a huge crowd, because passion is nice but it can master. And then there's a fifth one. And the fifth one, you've got to come back on the 10th to hear the fifth one. But you got four. Once we get this right, you will learn to sustain his glory. You'll, buy, you'll be like a, uh, like a reservoir of his glory. Uh, uh, that, uh, a reservoir of his glory so that you can, uh, people can uh, Isaiah 12 Isaiah, uh, Isaiah 112 no it's not Isaiah 112 there's a scripture which says and I will draw out of the wells of salvation 12? yeah people will begin to draw out of this reservoir of your life the goodness, the presence, the power and the joy of God they'll begin to bring buckets saying can I have some, can I have some seven will come and pull at the sleeve of one man saying could you take me to your God could you take me to the mountain of the Lord because you've got tons and tons of it. Now you will be able to stand and fulfill Isaiah 61 verses 1 to 3. Which is where we are going. Which is where we are going. The blazing ministry of the Spirit. And this is the actual conclusion. I give you my word I won't go beyond explaining this point. This is the, this is the place we are going. Because there is a thing that the Spirit of God says. Where he says, want to see my blazing ministry? Go to Isaiah 61 1 to 3. Because I will come upon you. With the full presence, power, joy, laughter, and goodness of God. And when I come upon you, I will anoint you to preach the good news to the poor. To open the eyes of the blind. To set captives free. To open prison doors. To give glory and uh, joy instead of ashes. To give the spirit of uh, praise instead of the spirit of heaviness. To raise up oaks of righteousness. This I will accomplish, says the Holy Spirit. This is where we are going. But to go there, we've got to get this right. Otherwise, what happens is, we'll have to have these uh, sermons or a mission month or a, a conference to get us all riled up. But if we can get this, 
then we don't need those. Yeah? Father, you, you, you made this so evident throughout scriptures. I thank you, Father. I thank you for your Holy Spirit, Father. I thank you for him. Hey, Holy Spirit, I really thank you for gracing our lives and gracing the church. Gracing sounds like such a Christian word. I thank you, Holy Spirit, for being so consumed, so jealous, so desirous, so present in my life, in our lives, in the life of this church. Your hands rub with glee when we talk about the possibilities in you. And we say, oh God, stop rubbing your hands with glee and take your hands and do what you want with us. Because you don't have to wait anymore. We are heading there, Spirit of God. You must have what is yours. You must have what is yours. You must have what is yours. We are yours. You must have full possession. Teach us, oh God. Teach us, teach us how to do this. I pray this week that... Uh, it doesn't matter whether we're in Vancouver, Surrey, Surabaya or Mongolia. These things can be practiced anywhere because we are always present before you and you are always present in us. So I pray, Spirit of God, would you cause this entire church to learn how to walk in intimacy, grow in intimacy, be dissatisfied as Moses, uh, be publicly obvious in our affection, build great trust in a father would you help us dismantle self when it raises its ugly head and tradition? And then would you, O oh God, cause us to have a growing expectation that it doesn't matter what my situation is. The goodness of God, the power of God, the face of God, the joy and the laughter of God are inseparable and they live in me and I must begin to practice this. We must begin to practice this. And then, the awareness and the knowledge of God shall cover the earth as the waters cover the seas. Amen? Amen. Bless you guys. Thank you for being a, a people that listen. When you listen, it is so easy.